Can we trust that justice will prevail? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, brand manager of The Gospel Project, and with me as always is Brian Dembozik, our managing editor. Brian, this is our last episode of the year. Well, it's our last episode recording this year, but it's actually releasing. Is it releasing? I think it's releasing on the 30th. I think you're right. Well. All right. Either way. It's either the very end of a year or the very beginning of a new one. So this is like a milestone. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is important. We have been working so hard these days that we don't remember what day it is or what year it is. But in, as you know, in publishing, <laughs> you don't know that in general. You don't know what season it is. Because That's true. You're, you're always editing working. summer content in the winter and you get confused. That's or, right. So you're, so you're sad in the summertime and you're <laughs> looking forward to you're looking forward to going to wear shorts in the winter and it's really confusing for my everybody. family still has not understood this i've tried to explain it many times how i get confused and i'm like i don't even know what month it is oh yeah and like how can you not know i'm like because you know when i'm at work all i'm thinking about is some other season and they still don't understand that's right that's right um all right well today we're not talking about seasons we're talking about justice and specifically we're going to talk about justice through the lens of a little book of the Bible, one that everyone is incredibly familiar with. It is on every coffee cup. It's on <laughs> every greeting card. It is on memes the world around. It is, it's 21 verses from Obadiah. And, and you know, I've got my Bible open. I'm just going to be honest. I, I looked it up in the index to find it. Instead of because it's so easy to go past, How it's, it's literally you. one page. <laughs> it is. It is actually Obadiah is consistently ranked as the least read book of the Bible, which says to me that when people are re- doing their Bible in a year plans, those who make it that far. I mean, we understand. <laughs> yeah, not everyone makes it through. Exactly, Leviticus is hard. Um, yeah, so the, the first three but. chapters of Leviticus are probably the most read. <laughs> that it just uh, right it, off the it's cliff. It's pretty close. It's pretty close. But uh, but Obadiah is consistently the least read book of the Bible. So if you can't find that one, it's it's okay. We understand. Yeah, we understand. You just didn't get there in the plan. And <laughs> but you know we're on a mission. We're on a mission to change that um, here at the Gospel Project. Because we love the book of Obadiah. Yes. It's got so much to say. And so as you listen to this session, I hope our as you listen to this this episode of, of our show, uh, we hope that you'll enjoy it. And um, and if you're studying with the Gospel Project, you're gonna actually study this book um, as well, which is really exciting. So Lord willing, we will have we will make that number a little bit smaller. Yes, but uh, make a little dent in it. We'll take it. It'll still probably be the least read book of the Bible. Probably. But, yeah. But um, so even though even though it's the least read book, even though it's it's kind of, in a, it's tucked away in the middle of some of the more obscure passages in the minor prophets, um, this obscurity and this and its smallness don't mean that this book doesn't matter. Um, it has so much to say about God's judgment and more importantly about our about the future hope 
that he offers for all who trust in him. And so let's let's kick this off the way that we always do, Brian, with uh, with a big question. Where does this book fall in the Bible's narrative? Well, there's a little bit of a question about that because scholars debate when Obadiah occurred, when, when he wrote the book, what mm-hmm. time period he's speaking of. But there's generally two uh, main suggestions about this. The mm-hmm. first one is that Obadiah wrote and was speaking about a time during Joram's uh, reign of Judah yeah. in the 840s. I think it was like 848 to 840 or, or so forth. So the 840 BC period. Right. That's a, so that's the really early date. That's yeah, the early date. And the reason why some scholars believe it's this date is because the Philistines and the Arabs had joined together mm-hmm. uh, and were plundering Judah. And the Edomites revolted against the Israelites during this time and allied with the invaders. Right. So they see that what Obadiah is talking about here could fit that. Right. However, more scholars would probably lean toward a later dating, and that's kind of where I would land as well. Uh, It just seems like it makes more sense that Obadiah is writing shortly after Babylon destroyed Jerusalem. So you're talking about 587, 586. Um, the reason mm-hmm. why some scholars believe it's that later writing is because there's no specific mention of the Edomites allying with the invaders in this book, which seems, I mean, that was a big deal. It seems like Obadiah would have mentioned that. Mm-hmm. And also Obadiah 20, verse 20, uh, seems to reference all of the Israelites being in exile. So it it makes a lot of sense that that later writing would be preferred. So while we cannot pinpoint with authority, even though we can lean one way or another, either of these dates, though, we see the same thing going on where God's people are just in major distress. They've been betrayed by who we're going to talk about in a minute, who the Edomites were, Mm -hmm. but they felt betrayed. They were betrayed. They're in great distress, great risk of their lives and and well-being. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I mean... I'm going to be honest, I do tend to, to lean toward that later date as well. It just seems to fit the context yeah. a little bit better. Um, so, and, and that's come through every time I've, and every time I've done a deep dive on this book, which has been surprisingly frequently. Yeah, um, and, I, and yeah. I think verse 20, I think, is strong <laughs> yeah. in, in indicating a later, di- uh, later date. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what are what are some questions that we should be, asking as we read and study this passage. Well, I'll cover the first one. And sure. it's what I referenced a minute ago, who the Edomites were. So the Edomites were descendants of Esau. Mm-hmm. If you go way back into Genesis, you had the two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Yeah. Jacob, you know, he tricked Esau. We know that story. So some tension formed. They reconciled. But then the, the descendants of Esau who became the Edomites uh, while they were considered brothers of the Israelites, there seems like there was always tension between the Edomites and the Israelites. So going over just a few things that happened throughout history, one of the earliest ones is the Edomites refused to allow the Israelites to travel through their land mm-hmm. during the period of the Exodus. So God's people had left Egypt. They're going toward the promised land. The Edomites refused to allow them to, to cross through. So that's kind yeah. of a I mean, that's a, that's a low move right there. That's, oh, absolutely. That, that's going to rub it's, you it's wrong. It's dirty pool for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, then if you fast forward to King Saul's reign, we read that he delivered the Israelites from the Edomites. So there was some, some conflict there. King David, the next reign, he halted an Edomite encroachment upon the, the land of the Israelites. So again, yep. we see tension, some warfare. Uh, and then in the 840s, Edom became a sovereign state. Yep. 
and then later they will ally with Judah. So we see them kind of reconciling, um, resisting the Babylonians in 597, but then they turn on Israel in 586. Uh, which, again, would really fit well with this later date yeah. of the book, that that's what's happening here. Yeah. So there's been tension all along, but then they join together and say, hey, we're on the same team, and then they just turn. Right. That wound would have explained a lot of what Obadiah is talking about right. here. Right. So the Edomites, big story, they are kin of the Israelites, but they're like that it's a very strange Thanksgiving's really tough. Thanksgiving is tough around the yeah. table. Yeah. One of the things that is, is interesting, so that that I found in studying this book is that there's the suggestion that um, in turning on Israel, um, there were a few things that e- that the Edomites did specifically. One, there is the suggestion that they actually helped um, helped round up. Um, and sold off into slavery some of some of the some of the Jews, um, which is a fascinating thing um, to, to think about. So they they didn't just and that all the while as Babylon was sacking Jerusalem, that they were rejoicing and as they were walking, yeah. were taken to, in away in exile, that they were delighting in this and that they reveled in. Um, what they saw as um, as Judah getting its comeuppance, um, because for years they had been um, essentially had been slaves of of Israel um, through up up through the divided kingdom when uh, when they did split off and become their and rebelled against the nation and became their own. And you see uh, some of that in yeah. the book of Obadiah. Oh, absolutely, it references Edom celebrating. Absolutely, Judah's misfortune, and it's and it's a pretty dark thing to think about when people are when when you can rejoice in the suffering of another. Boy, they, um, there's a practical takeaway, right? <laughs> right, and I mean, we, that's because we're prone to do that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, you know, um, there's all kinds of politi- political stuff going on in the United States right now, and. Um, we're not going to get into in, into it, but there is a lot of that that goes on, and it's not right. Yeah, it's not right, and so, and we can see that in, um, we can see that in the in the church world as well. Um, when we see um, when we see pastors who have abused their authority and their position to commit unspeakable sins against uh, against their entire congregations, against women, against children, um, how, however these things are happening. Um, there's a sense in which we should rejoice when justice is done. And um, one of the main takeaways of this book. Absolutely. But we shouldn't rejoice when one of these people gets their comeuppance. We should grieve that it happened at all. Um, and so we can go into that in a little more detail in a little bit. But um, one of the other things that we should be asking in this book, in this book, as we study this, as we study this really short 21 verses is this question of what is the day of the Lord? And that's a common theme that shows up throughout the throughout the scriptures, but especially in 
the prophetic books, um, uh, in the major and minor prophets, and then continues on into the epistles as yeah. well. Um, it's not something that just shows up out of nowhere and then disappears. Um, this is what this is talking about is ultimately the day of judgment when when God is going to settle all accounts when Jesus has returned and he is and everyone gets judged according according to their works and so that is a um, that's a big deal. Israel tended to look at toward this as the day when they would be vindicated. Um, and there were times when the prophets would certainly uh, affirm this kind of view, but sometimes Israel was warned that the day of that the day of the Lord might not be all that favorable to them uh, because they sinned too. They yeah. were not pure of heart. They were not um, they were not faithful to the Lord. And so the the day of the Lord um, in the full uh, from the full perspective, of scripture is when Jesus is going to return and bring judgment to those who reject him and reward those who have trusted in him and all and the rewards don't come from our um from our innate ability to be faithful they come because of Jesus's um granted or imputed faithfulness to yeah. us or righteousness to us so we are rewarded because of him um not because we are good yeah. and they are bad. <laughs> yeah, and that takes me to the third question, I think, that that dovetails closely with the one you just addressed. And it's it's why will God judge people and who will be judged? Mm -hmm. Because, again, if you understand the day of the Lord, it carries with it the sense of, of judgment. But just to clarify, we know that God's judgment here in the book of Obadiah is against the nations, the, yes. especially the pagan nations, Edom specifically. You will see that quite a bit also through the minor prophets. And that's what Israel longed for. When they thought of the day of the Lord, they were looking when God would come and judge all these pagan nations that had been so difficult on them, they would be vindicated. And again, there's truth to that, yes. as we see here. But that's, as you said, also there are times where God said, yeah, but you think this is, you're going to be judged too because you're rebelling. Right. You're an idolatry as well. Yeah. So don't think you're exempt from this. Mm -hmm. So. Carrying that together, when we think about the New Testament as well, we know that all people will be judged, and we, we need to really come to terms with that. You don't want to study Obadiah at arm's length yeah, and think this is abstract. This is God judging them. Right. You have to think this is God judging us, mm -hmm. all of humanity in one form or another, because all of humanity deserves judgment. Mm -hmm. So who will be judged all of humanity, why? Because of sin. But then that takes us to our next major question. Right, which is how does this point to Jesus? And this this book is, even though obviously his name is not mentioned in it, and actually there's no reference to the Messiah even in it, um, but the the mission of the Messiah or the 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 redeemer rescuer that God's people were waiting for. And we know who, who we know is Jesus Christ. Um, that is, that is so closely connected to him. Um, judgment belongs to him. He is the one who does the judging um, and does the rewarding. Um, and so what we, what we see is, is that not only not, he doesn't just 
do he doesn't just judge um judge and reward he actually takes the takes the judgment yep. on for for all who trust in him so you and i deserve this judgment we're under this condemnation correct but christ paid that it was paid it was right. set that account was settled right just not by us exactly. by christ in our place exactly so um, a, a lot of people have used a um, you know the 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 trial metaphor for um, for uh, what happens on the cross that you know they put God the Father in the in the judge's seat and they um, they leave out the Holy Spirit altogether <laughs> um, and Jesus is the is the defense attorney. Well, it's a little more complicated than that because the um because in this imperfect analogy the one who is judging is also the one who's been offended and the one um uh, against and or against exactly depending <laughs> um, on where you're from depending on where you're from um i've been told that my the way i say against as a canadian is sounds a little bit pretentious so <laughs> so sorry <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, but anyway, the so the judge who is is on the bench and is deciding the case is the one who has been offended. Um, And so and the one who is and is also the defense attorney. (laughs) Um, So in this instance, the one who is offended, the one who is deciding, deciding the case is um, and is also the advocate who then takes the punishment. You need a That's, flow chart. I know. It's wild. It's basically Jesus does everything. Yeah. <laughs> the, actually, more specifically and more accurately, the Trinity does yes. everything. God the Father, Son, and Spirit are all involved in um, in the work of saving humanity. So, <laughs> yeah, so really what, what Obadiah is writing about here, even though he does not use the name of Jesus, it's, it's right. a desperate cry for Jesus who will return. And right. this is where the day of the Lord comes into play yeah. because that's what we know when Christ returns. When he right. comes again, uh, as you said, when, when justice is poured out, when reward is brought with him, this book clearly points us to Christ in the judgment that was paid on the cross, uh, vindicated through the empty tomb. And then when Jesus returns and settles all accounts and we we then can experience true justice reigning mm-hmm. over all of, of creation again the way it was intended. Yeah. So this, I mean, this is an eschatological book. Uh, it, it points us toward looking at, at our future hope. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, that's the last three verses of the book is um, – you know, in in some Bibles, it'll have a it'll have a heading like the future blessing of, for Israel, um, and it goes much deeper than that because it's pointing toward this this um, greater kingdom that is to come, this restored and renewed and perfected yeah. kingdom. And, and and by the way, just a quick tangent here. Mm-hmm. This helps explain why so many of the Jews misunderstood the first coming of Jesus mm-hmm. as a political Messiah, because they're still filtering it through this narrower lens of, yes, God is going to bring judgment against the nations yes, and just save us from tyranny, which is why they expected Jesus to be the Messiah who would free them from Rome. Oppression. They missed the bigger picture here that you're you're, you're alluding to yeah. in these verses. That there's something bigger at play here. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And and really, that is one of the things that we that we also see as we as we continue to think about how all of this points to Jesus. Really, is is that you know 
justice is going to be done. Yes. It will be done. Um, and we'll we'll d- dig into this a little more deeply once we start thinking through how you would work through this passage when you disciple other peoples. But but um, we need to know that just justice and Jesus go together. Um, so when Jesus returns, justice is done. Um, and it will be done in full. Yes. Um, and then the new king, the new creation comes. And then the thing that people understood in part or had a had a glimpse of um, will be revealed and it will be bigger and better than honestly anyone could have expected. Yeah, Israel, their mind, their mindset was, man, we just want to live now in peace and protection and prosperity. Right. Which is what we all want. Which is what we want. And there's nothing wrong with desiring that. Mm-hmm. Although if that's our God, then it is. But yes. Uh, but God's like, no, no, no. There's, there's something so much more beautiful I have in mind. I, I, don't, I don't have in mind for you to live on earth in still a fallen environment, still plagued by sin in, in protection. Mm-hmm. Yep. You know, in prosperity. I, I don't intend for your, your, your barns to be overflowing with, with grain. And that's the big win I have in mind for you. God's like, no, I have something so much more beautiful than you can imagine. Yeah. And Christ is going to be the conduit by which you that comes to fruition. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's transition this. Um, so let's think about this passage. Let's think about Obadiah from the perspective of someone discipling another person um, or group of people. So whether it's adults working with adults, someone working with um, students or teenagers, um, someone working in kids ministry or preschool ministry or, you know, around the table discipleship. Um, how would how what kind of guidance can we offer in working through this passage with others? I think the first thing I would say is is we this this helps us see that we need to trust God that He's just, mm-hmm. but not only that He's just, but that He extends justice in His time and in His way. Yes, and I think that last part is really critical because we can stop at the first part and and assume upon God then that justice has to be done our way in our time. Right. And we have to understand you know in our culture we see that God is is mocked and ridiculed and and we should have a righteous indignation against this. Yeah. We should hunger for justice. Uh, we have been probably experienced personal injustices. Mm-hmm. And so if you're in a small group environment for example, you're probably dealing with people there. I mean it's very likely that you're dealing maybe with people who have been wronged in in different ways, abuse, um, you name it. And so there are people who will read Obadiah, they'll study Obadiah, and they'll put it through that personal lens, and and they're looking for justice through what they have experienced. Yes. This book gives us the opportunity to say, God is just, everything will be dealt with, but slow down. Don't run ahead of God and say, okay, well, that person who wronged me is going to deal with it now right? in the way I want him or her. No, we may not see it. You think about the Israelites. How long was Edom a, a thorn in their side? I mean, for, for generations. generations. And when did judgment come upon them? It was not for quite a while. And ultimate judgment still is delayed. Right. So this book helps us get before our people this tension we've got to embrace. Trusting that God is just and justice will be poured out, but being patient to recognize he will do it in his way, in his time. Yeah. 
Yeah. And something that's helpful to remember, too, is, is that's the pattern that we see in Scripture. Um, and so often we we ask the question of, you know, um, or we, we've seen people ask the question, you know, were, were the heroes of the faith in the Old Testament saved? Were they like, how were they or how were they saved is maybe a better question. Yeah. And the answer is the same. It's it's through faith in Jesus. It's always been faith. Yeah, it's always been by faith. And ultimately the and ultimately the the object of faith yes. is Jesus. Um and so um and that's true of even the people who didn't know him directly, but they knew but they knew the Lord. They knew that they, they were yeah, they were accountable yeah. to the what God had told them of the plan looking forward. Exactly. And so Abraham, for example, trusted in this unnamed descendant, right, who would would bring blessing to the world. He that's what God judged him upon his ability to trust in that. He did not know the name Jesus, right? He did not, you know, he didn't right. know how it was going to play out, but he placed trust in that. His faith was in the promise. Yes, um, Adam and Eve would have been the same same kind of situation. Insofar as we know, we the, don't the one who was going to crush the head of the serpent, exactly. Uh, David, it was the son who was going to reign on the throne yes. throne forever. The one who, whom he recognized was going to be his lord. Yeah, um, which is an interesting thing for to think about there. Um, you know, for later generations, it's this suffering servant, the the branch, the stump, as the as root. Details get layered <laughs> yeah. on. There's more accountable for for those to trust. Right, in. Exactly, and we know the fullness of it by God's grace. Because we know the name of that person. Yes. We know that person is and we Jesus. know how it happened on the cross. So, right. yeah, this – and if you're interested in this, Romans and James speak a lot to this. Oh, absolutely. And beautifully. Yeah. Like, I don't know how you can not be moved to feel a feeling. Yeah. During, Explaining uh, how faith that. saved the Old Testament – uh, looking toward, yep. and this is where getting back to the point. Yeah, you know, Paul in Romans speaks of their judgment being passed over. Yes, until Christ took care of it, and then that was when they experienced right. And that's an important point for for us today because um, we should be righteously angered um, by injustice in this world, and. Not in and in using that word, I want to be careful because the term injustice can mean a lot of things, and justice itself can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. What we're not talking about is um, a highly politicized form of justice in quotation marks. Um, however, you want to understand that, um, we're talking about justice from a biblical perspective where there is an objective standard of right and wrong. Um, And so that does include things like how we treat one another as human beings, um, which Amos speaks to this. A lot of the minor prophets, Malachi. So it deals with how we care with the poor. It deals with how we care with uh, how we, um, how we treat people with, of different, ethnicities, um, of different genders, all of these kinds of things. Those are all tied in there, but there's a, but there's a, but it's, it's this, this view that there's an understanding that we, we ought to work within the systems that, that God has granted us to work in. 
Um, but we don't put our trust in those. No. We don't put our hope in those things. Instead, as we as we seek to compassionately do good and see and do what God compels us to do to pursue um, justice in this biblical sense in the world today, we know that our efforts are ultimately going to fall short. And so we put our hope and our trust in um, God for the completion of justice and the fulfillment of justice and also in the and, and also in the pursuit of the salvation of those who commit injustice. Yes. And it goes back to not being like the Edomites. Right. We don't want to celebrate even when somebody deserves justice right. and they receive that, man, there should be our, our our posture should be one of brokenness for them. Yes. It should not be of haughtiness. Oh, they got yeah. what they deserved. It should be a, a sense of brokenness. That right. th- this is th- none of this is the way God intended. This is all because of sin, mm-hmm. and uh, we should be broken over them. Neither saying, "Man, they need Christ. They need to repent," or whatever the case yeah. may be. And that should be our heart posture. It should be one of love toward them. Yes. Even if they've wronged us. Yes, absolutely. And, and that kind of takes me to the, the third takeaway, I would say, is, as we're thinking through this in terms of a discipleship, um, in terms of teaching a group or something, or even parents in the home, mm-hmm. that when we study Obadiah, when we think about the day of the Lord, when we think about judgment, it should motivate us toward personal evangelism. Oh, Yes. Because we have to take this out of the broad community sphere. It's relevant there, of course. Of course. But we also need to bring this into our personal sphere that what this world needs is not laws. Laws can be good. Laws can be evil. Mm -hmm. Uh, But laws are not our answer. Politicians are not the answer. Political structures and, and economic structures are not the answer. The answer is the gospel. And when we think about injustices occurring, they occur because of sin and the 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 answer for that the response is the gospel so when we think about the day of the lord coming we think about the seriousness of god's judgment poured out on people whether it is somebody who we know and like and care about or whether it's somebody who we know and dislike or whether it's somebody we don't know our posture should be one of evangelism toward them we should recognize they if they're outside of Christ, they have not trusted in Christ, they're not regenerate, they are under the wrath of God. And when the day of the Lord comes, as as the writers of Scripture say, it will be a terrible day for that person. And if we have an ounce of care in our souls, if the gospel has penetrated us, even the shallowest layer of our hearts, that should trouble us. Mm-hmm. We should not want anyone to experience the day of the Lord's and the judgment that will come with it, an eternity separated from anything good, that should motivate us to share the gospel with these people. And so personal evangelism ought to be a takeaway from Obadiah. Absolutely. And Brian, that's a good place for us to wrap up our conversation today. So, listeners, thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, if you found it helpful, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com. 